Evil dies tonight. Maybe. In honor of Halloween ends, what's cinema's best resurrection? Is this really the first resurrection in that franchise or like the fifth? I'm really behind on my Halloweens. There's uh, even one called Halloween Resurrection, Katie. That's true. Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and you know, they kill uh, Spock in uh, Wrath of Khan, but then they just call the next movie Search for Spock, so I guess they at least made it clear uh, early on that he was coming back. Uh, I'm Matt Patches, and uh, I think I'm going to go with RoboCop, but the reboot uh, where he has the beautiful kid, and uh, we get to see his lungs. <laughs> Maybe that'll be my uh, answer for every single lightning round question from here RoboCop on out. The RoboCop kid has really been eaten out on this podcast lately. Ew. It, uh, I'm that dining out, Tron, Jesus. That, that and Tron Legacy live on in this podcast. I was actually debating if Tron else. Legacy would be my answer here. I was, it was like, uh, is that a resurrection? Was Clue is resurrected? Like a, I don't remember. I feel like it's just like a lie. Yeah, I don't remember either. Anyway, who else is on this podcast? <laughs> uh, it's me, David the Seven. I'm the only Dave on the podcast this week. And call me old fashioned, but I'm picking Neo. I heard there was From a resurrection what? in the Matrix as well. Oh yeah. Uh, Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Uh, hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It is episode 410. It is pandemic 140. Oh. Those numbers line up so nicely. Uh, it's the week of Wednesday, October 12th. That's the day that in 1931, the Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro uh, opened. Yeah. I guess, I guess it has an Art Deco vibe. God, what a It changed the Rio franchise forever. It really did. Those blue uh, parrots wouldn't be flying and sitting on a Jesus they, statue unless they, they, they that, did that. That franchise had really lost direction. I think we can all remember where it was in 1931. Uh, David isn't with us this week just because he's got shit to do. Oh, uh, Seems yeah. Yeah, he's too busy also, with award season somehow already. That's, that uh, you that know, bodes well for our future episodes. I I saw him in New York City last week, and he was stressing about interviewing James Gray. So <laughs> for Armageddon, uh, you know, time. Dave, for Armageddon time, a movie we'll talk about at some point, I'm sure. Um, but in the meantime, Dave is carrying on the torch, and I hear that we have reviews. We do. This one's five stars. It's from Yay. Sandy Westman, and it's uh, titled "Unmatched in General Vibes." Uh, the perfect blend of debate and discussion amongst friends that really take you into their lives. More importantly, I need to know if Katie or David have seen Titanic in NYC, and if not, when are you booking your tickets? Ooh. Uh, I was very close to seeing Titanic when I was in New York City last week, and I decided to see a movie instead. Um, Can you explain what yeah. Titanic is? I don't honestly know a ton about it. I don't know if it's a Celine Dion jukebox musical or... Um, original songs but it's like basically a titanic like parody musical with celine dion music i think that's right why wouldn't i want to see it yeah why wouldn't you want to that's a that's a good question our second review is only two stars from eduardo the man who says katie is good now on to the rest I can imagine David, Dave, and Patches probably are actually playing out characters on the show because I can't imagine people can be this insufferable in real life. Oh, no. David plays the perfect role of the dude who doesn't understand any pop culture, yet seems to represent the guy in the meme who's yelling at the cloud. Even though David is probably only a young guy in the meme who's... Even though David is probably only a young 49-year-old. Patches wow. plays the role of an editor of a news magazine or blog that either doesn't exist or has three subscribers, but he thinks he knows all about pop culture when <laughs> in reality is probably just read the Wikipedia inserts. <laughs> Finally, Dave is the guy who reads everything and knows everything about pop culture, but tries to pretend to be too cool in front of the other two by talking down about comics and comic book movies to seem like he is not a geek. I don't... Has, has this person listened to the podcast? You I'm talking down the, about comic book movies, that is... Uh, uh, not my experience. I, anyway, Katie's cool has interesting takes. Only one worth listening to on the show. Well, Eduardo, thank you for listening. Fair, you can fair. update your, you can update your review to five stars at any time uh, if you're still listening. <laughs> uh, but if not, we really try to encourage only five star reviews here. If you I, would like to leave a review, oh, go ahead. I was going to say I deem this review misinformation, but uh... <laughs> wow. Uh, if you would like to leave a review, you could go on the Apple Podcasts app in the United States and uh, leave us a starred review there. We'll leave it, read it live on the show. Clearly. You can also 
Email international reviews to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com, which is what we read uh, instead of punishments these days if we don't get any podcast reviews. But if we don't get any reviews or any emails, I will talk about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. I, that, gonna, we're not out of that yet. You're going to diss comic book movies. <laughs> that, that, we that's, all know you want to do. You hate Fuck them. all your comic book movies. I, I am, Only tar I mean, for Dave. I was very, very mad about Spider-Man No Way Home, and uh, that ended up being a very, very popular $2 billion movie, so maybe this, this is, is just the year mm. that everybody thinks I don't like comic book movies. Uh, but just wait till next year. Anyway, that's it. On with the show. You the calling man, you send you up. Please and call in All right. kick off uh, the show today, we're going to talk about a brand new film. Is it in theaters? No, it's on Hulu, where a lot of movies end up <laughs> now, for some reason. Actually, I, I was going to say the reason why. seems... I, I, I was going to say the reason seems clear, but this one's actually a little trickier. Dave, I don't know if you know anything about the Hellraiser franchise, but this is not a Fox holdover. This is not a Prey situation. That's not why this is on Hulu. This is, this is like a spyglass indie... Film, I think they just wound up on Hulu and became an original Hulu film. Do you do you have any clarification? Yeah, here? yeah. Uh, no, it is. It's basically been passed around since Clive Barker uh, decided he would like to uh, reboot his Hellraiser franchise at some point because the Hellraiser franchise itself drove itself into the ground uh, with like I don't know, whatever the directed DVD equivalent oh, which is there in 2015. Are many, 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 which have been released from, from major studios to like the Dimension Extreme DVD, home directed DVD brand, you know, that's it's seen every side of the horror uh, game. But yeah, this yeah. is a franchise yeah, that has been has on Hell, how, long is the Hell, how long has the Hellraiser franchise been dormant at this point? Before this new movie? Um, not very long. We can get a fact check on that, but I'm pretty sure there was a new one in like 2018 or 2019. Okay. Uh, this is, this is what I was thinking. Like, it kind of feels just like always it there. It hasn't been that so, long ago, but in a notable way, uh, not for very, very long. Mm. Yeah, the Hellraiser Judgment was released in 2018. That was the okay. last one. Wow. But most people me. consider uh, maybe the second or third one to be like the last worthy one. And that was 1988 and 1992. Wow. Okay. In a minute. Uh, but Katie, have you, did you, have you seen any of the Hellraiser movies? No, definitely not. I've seen okay. the guy with the pins in his face. That's all I got. You've seen masks yeah. at the uh, Halloween store. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the first two Hellraiser movies are the ones I'm most familiar with because they're the ones that like young 10 year olds who shouldn't have access to these VHSs at the Blockbuster, uh, got their mom to rent the Hellraiser movies, and they are just m- madness Whose and mom gore. was renting these movies for them? That's deranged Mine. in its own, it was, in its, it its was own way. Mom is not paying attention. I feel like Hellbound Hellraiser 2 uh, was a movie I probably saw on somebody's cable package late at night at some sleepover. I, I don't have great memories of the first time I saw the original Hellraiser. I, don't, I was not that kid. I was not allowed to rent scary movies, horror movies horror movies so i would have seen hellraiser in college which is probably a good thing because the original hellraiser the clive barker uh original is um very subtextual even as it's ripping people apart and using chains like there is that sadomasochistic streak that people who are even vaguely familiar with this franchise are aware of um and and it it has some like serious dramatic value there's i i saw someone put the put it this way on on letterbox recently that there's never the amount of Cenobites, who are the hell demon people, Katie, um, who are, you know, okay. Pinhead and the, and the like. Um, I there's never that phrase before. Yeah, there's never enough Cenobites in a Hellraiser movie to actually placate the, the people who are just there to see gore and crazy horror shit. Um, it's more... Well, I mean, but there's also a lot more gore movies. and crazy horror shit outside of the Cenobites. Like, the first Hellraiser... It has a guy. He's killed by the Cenobites really early on. He's flayed. He's like, he's flayed. Uh, I think he's actually ripped into pieces. Uh, and um, uh, they don't make a big deal about these Cenobite characters because we follow this guy, Frank, uh, when his brother 
bleeds on the spot where his blood and semen last touched. Oh, He's boy. resurrected you know, into like a zombie person that has to dig his fingers into the neck of people that he uh, convinces his brother's wife to black widow into their apartment and he sucks their life force and eventually kills his brother and wears his skin to try to attack his brother's daughter um it does have the pleasure and pain thing but it is definitely on the gross sexual side of it uh as opposed to this new movie which uh doesn't forego the sex entirely but it does not make it the focus it is definitely the... it is definitely not the focus yeah to your point dave this movie which is directed by david bruckner uh katie have you seen the night house did you get the did you uh see no that, that rings a bell rebecca hall one of her many like i'm going yes. crazy i'm rebecca hall movies um it's weird how she's become such a horror stand uh standby right it is a little strange she's she got also... a good scared face Bruckner yeah. made a, a very good movie uh, called The Ritual that people can watch on Netflix about a bunch of dudes going on a bachelor party and there's a little monster in the woods, perhaps. Uh, that was a, That's a fun one. But yeah, I think everyone in the horror world was pretty excited to see Bruckner take on Hellraiser and try and do justice to this franchise, which has not been done justice many times, despite there being probably 10 uh, installments of Hellraiser, one uh, one of which was directed by Scott Derrickson. That's another trivia pull. Um, who has mm. made more significant movies since his direct-to-video Hellraiser sequel? Um, but yeah, a lot of people played that sandbox, but maybe nobody has done it justice. It's always been kind of dumb as bricks. Horror. The iconography is so strong. Not only are we like obsessed with Pinhead and and the Cenobites, but there's the the puzzle box. Uh, what is the what is the proper name? I can't pull that. The La- Lockman. Uh, the lament. Damn it. Oh yeah, the lament. Yeah. Fuck, we're terrible. We are not fans. We are not fans. The mm-hmm. Lament configuration. This podcast is the lament for the configuration. Fans. Um, but yeah, all his iconography was so strong. Of course, it would carry through dumb as bricks sequels. But here, Hellraiser. I think the approach immediately with David Bruckner coming on was like, this is going to be legit, more legit, or like get back to the Barker feel like it would have meeting. And today's point, it's not the sadomasochistic streak here. They're going to tackle addiction or try to. So the the movie basically follows this woman, Riley, played by Odessa Azion, and she is struggling with drug addiction. She is trying to get her life back together. She is in a relationship with I mean, I guess she does have sex with this man in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Um, but I would say, Dave, not it's not a TNA moment. It's a, it's artful uh, bed, bed play. Sure, sure. <laughs> they, she has sex in a Hellraiser movie, and it happens to be more about sex it's just a very than dark, the Hellraiser stuff. It's a very stuff. dimly lit movie, and maybe mm. we'll get to more of this conversation, but uh, I, I could have gone with a bit more lighting. Um, not Art just during the sex scene. Play. <laughs> that's how I call it. That's what I, that's, uh, I'm sorry, that's I'm very reserved. I'm, I'm a mature man. Um, but yeah, she gets sucked into Cenobite land. There's also a mysterious, like, millionaire who is trying to conjure Cenobites and, and level up. Uh, he lives in a mansion that uh, later becomes a very puzzle boxy place. It's a pretty cool set. Um, but Dave, I guess my big question is like, as Bruckner is kind of trying to weave something together out of this drug addiction plotline, does that add up to you? Because eventually we get to Cenobites showing up and ripping people apart in maybe the last 30 minutes. But this is a pretty slow, severe, dramatic movie for a good portion of it. And uh, that was not necessarily jiving with me. I felt like 13-year-old me seeing... Hellraiser 2 on cable and being like, get to the gory parts a little bit. And I know that's a bad, maybe that's a bad instinct. Maybe I'm bad for art. But what what do you make of the new Hellraiser and its attempt to go into like a drug addiction plotline and maybe be a bit more artful about this? I am all in favor of them rewriting the Hellraiser franchise of which like the first two are... Uh, I think very mean spirited towards their protagonist who I think was named Christy. Uh, but Christy has a bad time. This one uh, is slightly more forgiving of our protagonist who is an addict and does relapse, which does mean that uh, there's some 
baked in disbelief that she's having these supernatural uh, encounters. And then people are also uh, used to some erratic behavior by her. So maybe don't sound the alarm as quickly as they do. However, this movie also um, adds in something new to the lore, which is this sort of uh, structure of there being a, a number of configurations uh, for the puzzle box. And each one requires a sacrifice that uh, she gets to choose uh, before giving herself up, which I don't think as a metaphor for addiction really works until we get to the punchline of uh, what happens to her at the very, very end. Uh, But there was a long period of time in this movie, not only where I kind of wish that we got a better look at the Cenobites and spent more time with the Cenobites, but I was like, are you saying that like, my addiction is me choosing my perfectly sinless friends to like die because I choose to continue to feed, you know, my mm. addiction. I continue to smoke cig- cigarettes and take pills or whatever they wants me to think is. I, I could imagine the movie uh, the addiction of it not blaming in that way, but maybe reflecting like the mental experience of of addiction and climbing out of it just to forgive the mm. movie. A little bit. Not that I think that this part of the movie works, as uh, mentioned, but uh, I could I could see what they're trying to do there. I could see how her experience feels the, like the internal experience of addiction, um, as opposed to victim yeah, blaming. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe. And then her like final showdown with all the Cenobites and their god uh, in the movie. Um, I think does come to a better conclusion about what happens if you uh, chase the extremes of sensation through something like addiction. I do like where we end up, but we have to get through a lot of weird-ass bullshit that I actually kind of enjoy once I gave into it. Like what? There's like a period... Well, we get to meet the rich guy who it turns out, like, slight spoiler, but he does show up like halfway through the movie, I think. Uh, He hasn't disappeared after an early film teaser, but he's been uh, cursed with a bad gift that is attached to his entire nervous system and threads it throughout his body on a gear machine that's sticking out of his front (laughs) and back uh, that causes him great pain and he could never go numb because sometimes it stops and lets him heal a little bit. And then the second he starts to feel good about himself again, it kind of pulls all of his nerves through his body like a string thing. Yeah, and when this, it got to that, uh, I'm like, that's is how ridiculous Yeah, this effect is quite satisfying. When it, like, it really gets over a hump, this movie. It is a solid two hours long. It could probably, I to sustain my interest, needed to be like 100 minutes or 90 minutes. It really needed to kind of coast through and make its thematic point about addiction in a clear way. But man... When it when it gets to the horror of it all, I think it I think it picks up. It's quite graphic, not in the extreme gore sense, but that Bruckner and his well, production designers and all extreme. these people. Well, that's true. They, people are being ripped <laughs> apart with chains and that sort of thing. So yes, I I can't say it's not a gory movie, but I I just think the conception of the design like there's there's a clear entry point for people's interest in making this movie, which is reconsidering the puzzle box, reconsidering how those elements are part of torture devices, uh, what what makes horror people giddy for this kind of thing. Um, I do think it's, unfortunately, it's, 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 it doesn't have the budget, I suppose, to bring it to life. I, I really found this movie to be dimly lit, not to be a Game of Thrones oh, House man. of the Dragon complainer type, but um, I had a, the I, hottest I, topic in I, the world I should, right now. I will say this. I did not watch it on Hulu. I got a screener of this film in advance. So who knows how different that experience was than watching it on my 4K TV on Hulu proper, uh, where I'm sure the blacks pick up a bit more. But, like, man, I was having trouble detecting what was going on until, thank God, we got to the end chamber and all of the blue light was illuminating the horrors within. Um, but, yeah, this this movie was suffering a bit from kind of low budgety feeling uh wait one thing we didn't talk about at all dave was there's the, there's a new pinhead there's a new hell priest and it's played mm-hmm. by this woman jamie clayton um do, do you have any thoughts about new new pinhead as if this matters at all like does it matter who's playing pinhead does this relate to the story at all or is it just cool to see a female uh, uh i would say no and uh, no it doesn't matter but yes it would i think she does a great job in the role what makes i am pinhead? not a 
I'm not a pinhead purist where it has to be that guy. And I know that's like that guy's most iconic role and he was very protective of it. And they did offer him to come back and do like a little cameo for here. But he was like, I don't want to wow. tarnish my role that existed. Uh, so tarnish his role? Entirely. Has he seen the other Hellraiser movies? Anyway. I mean, he's been in some of them as this character that he apparently cares a lot about. But I do like her in this movie, not only because I think she holds the non-expressive line while still expressing enough for us to see, like, ooh, the priest is pleased. Like, that sort of thing, I think, is always important. You can't just be completely stoic. Uh, but also, this is a this is a priest that uh, bargains, which was not a thing the old uh, pinhead did. So I think it manages to have, like, a slightly better take on the character uh, that isn't so much about... Uh, the line between pleasure and pain is the same. I think there's something she says, like once you've crossed a threshold, you could never go back. So uh, I feel like she's more uh, the person that is pleasurably crossing pain thresholds, if that makes any sort of difference or sense. If it doesn't, that's fine. Hellraiser doesn't know Hellraiser makes a lot of sense. Do, do you think that this movie is successful in being artful about the horror itself and the, and the gore? Is there like good horror gore and bad horror gore that feels like one is extreme for extremity saint sake or is uh this, yeah i is think not enough people are ripped apart by chains uh <laughs> okay. i'm not actually joking about that you would think there'd be more people ripped apart by chains uh in this hellraiser movie uh i think we we were uh teased with a very key flaying that we never actually get to see in its entirety uh, with a character that is sort of the quest character. We're trying to get this character back. Uh, pretty sure he got flayed. Uh, never get to see it, though, uh, at least entirely. So, like, if you're coming here for the weird creature effects, they definitely exist, but your joys are going to be found in the same places the old Hellraiser sort of was, which is, like, the Cenobites here get a bit more to do and when stuff happens to them, it's really cool looking because it is, as Patches alluded to, a movie that is more about design than it is about saying anything, mm. I think, or actual horror. And there are some great design choices uh, in New Cenobites and in Kills. I just uh, sort of wish there was more classic, you know, make someone's skin come off completely. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to spoil too much but we do get like a peek into cenobite world sort of uh i guess that's hell um but but not more of a more of a limbo it's 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 a different dimension again in this one which i appreciate yeah uh i i enjoy a peek i i i'm tickled by mythos uh i enjoy that aspect of of the movie too any amount of like what's really going on here not explaining things but but teasing a, a bigger world i appreciate and i've been left with feelings that there's probably a good like Cenobite sitcom to to be made something like Big Mouth or uh spin it's spin off human resources Hit, except about Cenobites but for yeah. Hellraiser. Yeah, it's exactly Here's I just, the thing I about just this want, movie. Like, yuck yuck. I've I've seen this movie and then I've seen the two big like uh smaller horror things that did well in theaters this year. I saw myself some Black Phone. Saw myself some Smile a couple weeks ago. Those stay with you in a way that I will forget Hellraiser 2022 by the time this podcast comes out. So maybe it was a smart thing to throw it on Hulu where people can, you know, throw it on top of the pile of the other 10 that they really enjoy (laughs) or whatnot. But I would be surprised if this drew people to theaters outside of people who are already into Hellraiser. And I think even with them, it might be a little controversial just because of how it presents itself. I think that's a, a, a strong point. Uh, this movie played at Fantastic Fest to raves, which I was surprised about. Uh, and I think it is just one of those movies that horror people, and they it, they will truly be their own breed to the end of time, no matter how mainstream other geekery gets. Like, superhero people used to be superhero people, but now they're everyone. No, horror people will always be horror people in a way that they are addicted mm-hmm. to watching every single schlock output uh, you know that will ever be made they have to watch every hellraiser sequel just because they exist this movie is for them um even more than trying to make hellraiser into a bigger franchise and i guess in that way i'm i'm 
I'm happy for them. I'm happy they got another one that's like almost top tier in terms of this this franchise. And Katie, I hope that you uh I hope that you watch you it. Ever I see hope, it? I hope that you want to see people sliced open um and see what their insides look like and see them I was gonna built ask, into puzzles. In a world in a world where Smile has been on top of the box office for two weeks, would it not have been a smart idea to put Hellraiser in theaters? Is this just too niche horror to do that? I think so. I think, I think it's so, like yeah. Smile uh, is more like uh, It Follows or like an A24 movie where it's like mm. it's telling you it is about how human beings deal with trauma and it gives you a supernatural thing. This is it's pretending to be that because she's an addict and we're going to deal with addiction things. But we are here to see crazy skin torture. And people don't want to see gory stuff. Like, what is the last big yeah. gory movie that has hit in theaters that wasn't a comedy or something, that wasn't like Deadpool? Um, I don't think people want to see gory horror anymore on a mainstream level. If they have ever before. It's not that the original Hellraiser was a huge, huge hit. It's just a, it's been a constant. It's a good Halloween costume. It really is. The pinhead mask is just... Perfect. True. It is scary. Yeah. I knew. I mean, I know. I know about the pinhead mask. I mean, uh, I've seen Hellraiser movies. I've seen Hellraisers that are trash, and this one isn't that. It's just not. Uh, I think enough of its own artifact to justify someone like Katie taking time out of her family-filled day wow. to watch <laughs> Hellraiser twenty twenty. Taking my kids directly from La La Crocodile to everyone's thing down and watching Hellraiser together. Kids love Pinhead. Exactly. Don't give them a hug. Kids low. love Pinhead. Uh, Hellraiser 2022. It's just called Hellraiser. Keep, they keep doing that with horror movies. It's very confusing. But it is on Hulu if you are hardcore enough for it. My Lucifer is lonely. Standing there, killing time. Can't commit to anything but a crime. Leaders on vacation. An open invitation. Animals, evidence. Pearly gates look more like a picket fence. Once you get inside, I've got friends. Uh, Matt Patches, I really just feel like we need to cede the floor to you because you're queen. <laughs> Angel Lansbury. I mean, truly, an, an, I'm a cultural icon on oh. many, many levels. But yeah. I think on this podcast, you were the Angel Lansbury devotee. She's died at the age of 96. She was the same age as the queen, which I did not realize. Uh, and both of them uh, left us this year. Um, how did you feel when you read the news? I I mean, I was a little heartbroken. For me, I talked about Angela Lansbury on this podcast before. Maybe not in the last few years, because there hasn't been a great reason, although I have been watching. What was it, Murder, Murder She Wrote a Pandemic Watch for you? It's it's a pandemic I mean, watch. You, you... It's a post-pandemic watch. It's a sleepy time <laughs> watch. Uh, I'm constantly revisiting Murder, She Wrote, um, the show that I, I was trying to remember when I watched Did I watch it with my like uh, daycare person growing up? Did I watch it with my grandma? It feels like a grandma show. I associate it with my, with my grandma, even because they just reminds me of my grandma. Not that I watched the show with my grandma. So I just have this attachment early in age uh, to, to Angela Lansbury. And she just wound up in so many different, like she just showed up in my life in so many different ways. I was watching Murder, She Wrote with an adult early in life, but then we were watching Beauty and the Beast, or I'd watch Ben mm -hmm. Dobbs and Broomsticks. There was the Disney factor. She was there, too. Um, and then when I became a theater nerd, I was I became re-obsessed with Angela Lansbury, a favorite of, of Stephen Sondheim. She was in Mame. She was in Gypsy. Um, and then when Sweeney Todd. I, and Sweeney Todd, certainly. Um, and getting more into movies as an adult like going back to the golden age and, and re-watching some of these highlights uh manchurian candidate but way before that, that that's kind of like post studio system angela lansbury actually but like gaslight uh and and some of these early films and learning about angela lansbury's life uh was so fascinating it was it's a really if you, if you go back and, and you read some books on the subject or you listen to the podcast about this stuff, Angela Lansbury will come up and, and she's a fascinating kind of foil to a lot of the success stories in the golden age of Hollywood because uh, as she would tell us, she was not the conventionally good looking leading lady, which is I've seen people on Twitter already being like, because the New York Times brings this up in their obituary of her, that she's she wasn't perfect looking and people are kind of outraged that the New York Times would would say this, but it's actually integral to her her history in Hollywood because she wasn't seen as conventionally beautiful, and she kind of got shafted by her 
studio contract and wound up in all these kind of mediocre to bad movies that we would never talk about these days or, or seek out. And she kind of ditched Hollywood. She went to the theater. She, I, I have always found her to be kind of a feisty soul, both in interviews and uh, she would put it uh, in many, many, many interviews that, that Jessica Fletcher, her Mirror She Wrote character, uh, was probably the most similar to her, someone who was kind of standing up for everyone and standing up for herself and living a very independent life. The fascinating thing about Jessica Fletcher is that her, by the beginning of the show, 12 seasons ahead of her, uh, she will, she's, her, her husband has died and she never has a romantic thing going on with anyone ever on the show. Good for her. <laughs> she doesn't need it. She's an independent That's lady. It's an easy script writing thing to do too. Like you would think they would have fallen back on it at some point. I know. There are many men who have tried to, uh, mm. you know, lift her off her feet, but uh, it, it never happened. She's a, she denies them, and it's always satisfying to see on the show. Um, but yeah, she uh, she ditched Hollywood and went to the theater, where she made a a totally different career and won many Tony awards. Um, and and it's fascinating. She really came out of nowhere. Like she was from London, and her father died really early in age. I think when she was maybe eight or nine, and she moved from London with her mom and her three siblings to New York, and and her mom and her just set out to become actresses. I guess that's something <laughs> sure. you could do in the early 20th century. I, every <laughs> sure. time I hear this kind of story, I'm just like, that sounds fascinating. You just, I'm gonna go be an actress. So maybe it's possible. And for her, it it was. And uh, very very early on in this pursuit, when she got to New York, they got flown out to L.A. She was auditioning for Portrait of Dorian Gray. And uh, I guess she impressed people so much that she got shuttled immediately to George Cukor, uh and, and was in Gaslight. And um, and it's amazing. And she got nominated for an Oscar. And it was all, like, t- uh, tumultuous from there, unfortunately, because of, of looks and studio politics. But it didn't really matter. Uh, and, and that is what's so fascinating, that she became a movie actress. She became a stage actress. She became a, a TV actress. She became... I mean, she was. She had enough of a brand where there are videos of Angela Lansbury. She did like workout tapes. She kind of did oh, the yeah. Jane Fonda thing. There's a there's a infamous video of her like talking about pleasuring herself in a bathtub, um, and as there should be. Like she is mm-hmm. fully feminine <laughs> and fully her own, and and looking out for herself. I find that all fascinating. And she's she just kind of like did whatever she wanted for ninety years, <laughs> and it's incredible. And I, uh, I am sad on this day where we lost Angela Lansbury, despite her dying at the age of 96, which is, like, much older than most people uh, get to. So, oh, very, uh, it was amazing. Oh, she, was on, she was on the West End, like, three years ago. She's been working constantly. She was in, she the, was in Mary Poppins Mary Returns. Poppins yes. returns. <laughs> uh, Philly for Julie Andrews. Her. It seems like she, that was a weird, I don't know the full story behind that. Do you? That, that should it have been Julie Andrews. Like they, wrote, they wrote the part for Julie Andrews, and she was like, no. And we'll get the yeah. Bedhouse of Group Six lady in here. Why not? Sure. Um, and she might be in What's one more so- movie before the end of the year. I don't know. I, I accidentally stumbled into a little Wikipedia uh, spoiler potentially when I was when I was looking at her most recent credits. Uh, Whoa! Do you think it's or a spoiler? Is she in Wakanda forever? A... Good God! Yeah, yeah. she's an she's, avatar. Obviously. She's the new Marvel. She's just going to be a disembodied voice in the Marvel universe from now on. Uh, Katie, do you even know what I'm talking about? Maybe this isn't true. No, this is news to me. Oh, shit. Okay, well, there might be a movie that I think Katie has already seen that Angela Lansbury is in. So uh, we'll, we'll see if that comes true. I don't want to spoil oh, I it. See that on, I'm, I see it on Wikipedia. No, I have not seen that movie. So. You, oh, right, you haven't seen it. Yes, we can all be surprised. And no How one should look this satisfying. up. What it is. Uh, yeah, there might be one more Angela Lansbury screen appearance, which makes my heart flutter because it's perfect. Uh, yeah, RIP, rest in power uh, to... To Angela Lansbury. I don't know. Any other Angela Lansbury thoughts? Bed knobs of Bruce's fans? Ask, what or? should people what should people watch? Like if everyone wants to be like, you know, I only know her as Mrs. Potts, what should I watch? Would you send them to Bed Nobs of Broomsticks or should they go straight to Gaslit? God. Um Or maybe Manchurian candidate. I mean, I personally would start with um YouTube clips of her theater. <laughs> like mm. I, I think that people couldn't imagine her doing Mrs. Lovett or doing Gypsy Rose, uh, and or doing Mame, and and like she does Mama Rose, not or Mama Rose, yeah, sorry, Mama Rose. Um, but yeah, I think these are just like 
because she's such a grandmotherly figure on on Murder She Wrote and and Mrs. Potts, uh, this sweet old lady, just seeing her like just bust a nut doing these Broadway performances. I think I it's think totally a nut is really what you're looking for here. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm saying she's busted a nut. Angela Lansbury busted a nut. Dave just made the most sour face of all time. <laughs> I'm not speaking ill will. I'm saying she she just she does amazing things on stage, and I don't think that level of energy maybe came in any of her screen performances necessarily. So I would I would actually go there and go to the total other side of the spectrum. Taylor's oldest time. As it can be Barely even friends Then somebody bends Unexpectedly Just a little change Small to say the least Well this weekend I took my kids to see Lyle Lyle Crocodile as promised to them, and then also when I tweeted about Javier Bardem's uh, costumes in the movie and it went really viral, I was like, well, now I really got to follow up on this. <laughs> Javier Bardem is fantastic in La La Crocodile. It is this, like, big, goofy performance where he's like, oh, oh God, I'm going to get, have to get his name right. Like, not Hector Mancini. I'm going to look this up while I talk. Um, but this, like, big, sort of villainy performance where he finds this singing crocodile in a pet store uh, Hector P. Valenti is the guy's name. Um, and he wears ridiculous clothes and he like sings and dances a whole number at the beginning. It has original songs by Pesek and Paul, uh, the writers of La La Land. This is the craziest um, part. What the it, hell? It, look, yeah. they're executive producers. They wrote a bunch of original songs. Did you not think the craziest part is that and Sean Mendez as Lyle is uh, one of the credits as well? No, that that seems like, okay, get the new hotness to voice the talking alligator, but that it's a full-fledged musical with songs from the circus musical people and dear evan hansen why did they yeah. why was this their thing why did they go I mean, all in on lyle lyle crocodile uh i don't know but the songs are great oh, there's wow. this opening oh, number no. where he and lyle are singing like it's called take a look at us now and uh it ends with them doing like a whole like razzle dazzle dazzle song and dance on stage except that lyle has stage fright and so he doesn't want to sing so he and hector people and part ways and then Lyle winds up living with his family, uh, with the parents played by Constance Wu and Scoot McNary, the pair mm. that you've always wanted to see together. I've shipped them for, yeah, eons. I know. Uh, in, cl- in classic Scoot McNary fa- fashion, I had no idea it was him after watching the trailer. I had to see it on IMDb because you never know where that guy's going to show up. Uh, the kids played by Winslow Fegley, brother of Oaks Fegley, uh, child acting. Uh, from you the, the Peach uh, Dragon. Yeah, I guess that's what he's, that's what he's from. The most... Oh, I don't know what I don't know this what he's guy done. Or the after. brother, the brother was no Oaks. This guy's uh, too young to Ben Pete. Oaks was in uh, Pete's Dragon. He's in yeah. the gold. Ah, uh, got it. Is yeah, he in okay. the Goldfinch? God, what else is this guy doing? The Fablemans. He's in the Fablemans. Oh yeah, I think somebody. Oaks! I don't remember Chad Thomas. What a year Thomas. for he's the family. Uh, anyway, uh, and so it's about this kid and this crocodile, and the crocodile makes the like helps the family. There's a song where he and uh, Constance Wu sing in the kitchen. Also, so the crocodile. Let me be clear. And then Javier Bardem shows back up, and he's amazing. And so I want—I took the kids to see the movie because, like, there aren't that many movies for kids out right now. Um, but it's the first movie that I have taken them both to see in the theater with real people in it because most kids' movies these days are animation. And I think, having come of age in the '90s, I have an affection for live-action kids' movies that maybe is not warranted. Like, I don't know that like they need the big green in their lives. Like, I don't think that's a cinematic <laughs> classic. Big green. Um, is that the soccer movie where they have like a, yeah. a pig or something? I don't know if there's an animal in it I or thought not. There was an animal. Um, anyway. I definitely saw it in the theaters. Um, but like, they're going to know who Javier Bardem is now in a way that like, they don't know who the rock <laughs> is, even though they've seen 10 movies with his voice in it. Um, and they just get exposed. There's like some weirdness in a live action kids movie that seeps in intentionally or not that i think just cannot exist in these like really polished animated movies even though i think that like encanto is probably a better movie than many of the live action movies that i grew up on um i wish that more live action kids movies exist and i want to know if it's just that animation got cheaper and more like profitable that they just completely stopped making live action kids movies or what happened to make this trend die uh, I don't yeah. think they did well at the box office ever. Ever? 
I mean, how at many least mighty the, ducks did they make, Dave? I mean, in the period of time that you're talking about, like mighty ducks, I think, and uh, is like an outlier. But I think if you look at like box office take for even something like Sandlot, which is pretty well remembered, those are hits after the fact in terms of like going to theaters. Uh, I don't think that it was like a major hit or contender. I mean, right, recently- I'm looking at the 1993 box office. Aladdin makes $99 million. Uh-huh. Oh, wait, no, hang on. Total gross. I'm confused. Aladdin is in the t- is number eight. Free Willy is 11 in the yearly box office. And I'm guessing probably costs less okay. than Aladdin, even though it involves a fucking whale. Well, um, that's the thing. It is involves a whale. Like, um, uh, the, your movie, you saw a movie that had live action people in it, but it did have, I'm assuming, a digital crocodile. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, there's so, always, like, today there will always yeah, be some kind you're of You're firmly in squeakle element. territory right now. Which yeah, is, yeah, uh, or to- the Tom and Jerry movie, which I think we watched for this podcast. Yes, well. we did. Jesus. Which was mostly or, live uh, action. Detective but... Pikachu. That's Detective a... Pikachu? Uh, Chippendale it... Rescue Rangers. Marmaduke? Uh, I mean, yeah, these are all ones that exist uh, with, like, animation on the side, um, but are also IP, so I think... They have that selling power where, like, I don't know where your kids uh, absorb pop culture outside of at the movie theater, but the the chances are they have a they could run across a Tom and Jerry or a Marmaduke. Um, but yeah, it does seem like I, I was trying. I was uh, on a the Patreon podcast I do with Neil Miller. We've been doing movies that take place on Halloween. And before we got serious, we wanted to do last week uh, the first Hocus Pocus. And then this week we did Ernest Scared Stupid from 1991. Oh, yeah. And both of those are movies for children that are, uh, you know, spooky. The kids are at risk. Both the troll and the original Sanderson sisters are after the souls of children uh to like wreak havoc on things and then um i have like some moments that aren't necessarily scary like adults would define them as scary but i do think are like horror light filmmaking techniques that are applied just to children's entertainment it's and the thing that i notice the most about that is i feel like the tone is different between those Mm. early 90 ones where it's like now if you get a live action movie for children at somewhere along the line someone was like can we have that joke where the chipmunk is surprised and it poops a peanut or you know (laughs) can we have the fart joke here for for marmaduke like i feel like those have been interested in inserted into like dumb it down it's hard for me to think about a live action children's movie that I think is really swinging directly at its audience, well, uh, but also not boring the parents. A, two, two, a few things here. Ernest Scared Stupid ends up being a great example of like when things took a turn, I I, I think, mm-hmm. um, because this was a low-grossing Ernest movie in 1991, and from there, the franchise went direct to DVD. And so yeah. I've also been watching, because I'm, I'm similar to you, Katie. Uh, there's something about live-action that I want to introduce my daughter to. She's definitely old enough. You know, she's about to turn five. I want her to see like real people doing things, not just animation. I want them to not. I want them to not think that only animated movies are for them. Right. So we've been watching The Incredible Journey, which I thought was mm-hmm. a great. You know, has that kind of animated kind flavor of because you're just putting sad. like. Anim- no, I mean they get lost, so there is a burst of sadness, but it's about their incredible journey. You're, wait, isn't it incredible you're watching journey, Homeward the Bound? One? Yeah, Homeward this Bound. is Homeward Bound. Yeah, Homeward okay, Bound, right. the Incredible okay. Journey. The well, incredible... the first, the original one is called The Incredible Journey, I think. Yeah, I didn't know yeah, if you were yeah, watching that's... like the '60s one. That well, you can watch all of them twist. on Disney Plus, and you can also watch Homeward Bound Two: Lost uh, in San Francisco, or whatever the fuck that's. In. Yeah, um, he left his heart in San Francisco. How could they do Sings... that? Leave them in San Francisco. Uh, yeah. Anyway. So I, I think around the and then and so I was we were watching Incredible Journey and Homeward Bound and we were also doing Honey I Shrunk the Kids which I was like I, this was yes, a, one of my favorite movies uh, Movie because it's just rules. it feels like animation too right it feels like that spectacular I'm a, I'm little I'm floating in a Cheerio um, yeah and there's a giant ant it's like our lawn backyard there's so much to talk about with kids when you uh, imagine them in kind of almost animated 
spaces. So it has that extravagance of an animated movie. Um, but that is another franchise that would eventually go direct to DVD because there was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. There was Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, which did not do very well, which is also, yep. I've revisited that. Very fun movie. Totally, it's it has atrocious reviews, but we watch it, I'm like, hey, big baby, that's fun. That's funny. Big baby. Yeah, it's a um, big baby. No <laughs> nap. No nap. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then the mom grows big at the end and gives him a hunk. It's really beautiful. Uh, and then a movie that I actually liked when I was a kid in the 90s was Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Rick Moranis oh. came back for a third movie that only went direct to DVD or VHS, I suppose. Uh, it's on Disney+. Plus, But that is a lot of fun, but it's it has, and this is my second point, which is like it has the aesthetic of the Disney Channel original movies. And these uh, are the movies that took over what you are talking about ostensibly, which is yep. like Disney Channel original movies. I watched every goddamn Mary Kate and Ashley movie under the sun when I was a kid because my kid sister was just of the age. So I watched all the Mary Kate and Ashley mysteries. And, the, you, and, and you had the Disney Channel because you were fancy. We did not. Did I? Oh, I didn't realize. I'm bougie. Disney Sorry, Channel was like a premium thing. Was it really? For a, I, that's how I remember it being. There was a ABC movie of the uh, like Saturday Night movie. Oh sure, like the Brandy Cinderella. Some of it. Like yeah. that definitely. Oh yeah. But this is where we all these movies seen went. Mary right? Kate Nashley movie in my day. And and we would struggle these days to think of those movies. They're still making them. So in Disney Plus right now, there's like under wraps and under wraps too. These Halloween direct to video and direct to Disney Channel now direct to Disney Plus movies that we would never ever show our kids on purpose because they just don't feel like movies but i think that they're That's probably true. higher quality than we would expect and and i'm i'm about to galaxy brain here because this is a huge oh boy sticking point for me which is like how do we get ourselves out of curating for kids like we just stumbled into all this shit i feel like half the the kids movies i watched as a kid i just grabbed off the shelf at, at our local video rental store because they looked cool and then i watched them my my parents were not mm -hmm. deciding which that's kids how movies. i got hellraiser <laughs> right well no your mom's renting your mom's like you gotta see pinhead you gotta fuck you <laughs> um but yeah i mean I, this is kind of a tangent but like at least your your kids have you to take them to lyle lyle crocodile and you know which are the the cool kids movies but there's just this sea of of movies that are for your your kids and and i would have no idea which disney channel original movies are worth a damn like the descendants oh, shit scares me the, once she learns how to use the apple tv remote like she'll tell you like she'll find that shit yes that's right i gotta and let my kids that, scroll and that's and that's yeah. why you have to build the framework where she's gonna look at stuff and be like oh this could be cool as, as opposed to being like it is not animated it is not a thing that i already know about like you if you, you can promote the curiosity on some level then you know they find awful shit on youtube sometimes but there's also um you know charlie like Started watching Wizard of Oz, which we like own and like the wow, you know iTunes movies, and he picked that. So you kind of never know what um what they might do if they've been taught. I think to seek out a wider variety, not like that unnecessarily good stuff, but just like aesthetically different. I think I think you have to set that up. I think I like what Patches is saying here, which is like at some point in like the mid '90s, because of the rise of like cable and video and things like that. There was a decoupling of the parents having to curate, having to read theater listings in the paper, having to schedule the kids to get there, having to try to get them in a mood to want to watch a fucking movie when you paid for a fucking movie in public where they can't like act up. And the reality <laughs> is, if you're going to roll the dice on a movie that could be good or could be bad, the, the best place to do that is the safety of your own home where either they find it or you're like here. And then it's just, it's immediately there to be accepted or rejected. Unless Sam dancing in the theater becomes like a uh, key memory for him of being like, being able to do that for some reason I, I differently in the theater. I highly recommend an 11 a.m. showing of a movie on <laughs> yeah. Saturday where there's no one there except Restless Kids uh, and you can do whatever you want. It worked out well for us. It, That's it, when I like to see movies like Don't Worry Darling because yeah. then, you know. All the kids are dancing in the nobody aisle will be there. there. Yeah, yep. exactly. Uh, Harry, Harry Styles. Um, I guess there's a reverse question here to, to kind of start wrapping up, which is like, why have animated movies become four quadrant safety nets? Like, what's the, why? Why will parents go see the Minions 2 Rise of Gru when they could be watching this 
a lot of, of content that we're talking about, the live action stuff. Why have animated movies become so dominant? Like in, in terms of box office? Yeah, like the, why are they, why are animated movies safe to make in a four quadrant way when live action kid skewing stuff is not for some reason? Is it because mm. they are CG and like something about the vocabulary of CG animation translates to like uh, everyone in China and Japan wants to see Avatar, so they will clearly want to see the minions or some uh, logic that I cannot add up that makes them worldwide phenomenal. Hmm. Like the minions makes two billion dollars. Why? Minions made two billion dollars. I mean probably. I'll look that up. Let me fact check <laughs> The minions only made one point one billion dollars. But it oh, feels like no. two million or two billion. It feels like that feels like a lot of money. It does. The Lion I mean, King that would be the reason why if it's capable of making billions of dollars. I as but I why? do with everything I blame Shrek coming out and then winning the best animated feature Oscar. I think that was one of the most horrible things to happen to animated family films ever because it's not good. We gave it the first best ever statue. We sequeled it into oblivion and all those things did well enough. And that begets your ice ages begets your minions. Like I, I, I'm told Ice Age movies are still coming out. I think, or have been, or were for a while. Maybe they finally put out the last one. But like, um, those movies have so little artistry at the baseline. Like, I'm not saying Shrek isn't attempting to do artistry because it was like trying to figure it out. And then obviously you have Pixar, which is applying the whole filmmaking experience to family-friendly animated movies. But the bottom bar of, to make a billion dollars if it's minions minions directing a minions movie is not hard uh like or it doesn't have to be hard dave direct can, a minions movie challenge yeah. i mean i would love to direct a minions movie You've i would love to first, direct folks. ice age 15 or whatever oh, that's studio uh, closed, the fact though. that there are that many land before time movies i think already feeds into the fact that like there's a such a lower bar for animation that doesn't actually involve having people coming on the set uh, where you have to pay for crafty, where you have to insure Javier Bardem and like make an actual live action movie. I do think there's a slideable budget than if the returns are like patches are saying is minions makes a billion dollars. Then why would you even deal with real people? Why would you ever deal with real people? This is how we get the Robert Zemeckis Pinocchio. That is true. That's just uh, mostly Tom Hanks. Except, oh, never mind. I don't need to harp, I, let, harp on that movie anymore. Let me uh, end on a, on a trivia question here, which is fascinating. Okay. I'm looking at thenumbers.com, a great resource for, for box office information. Um, what, is, what do you think is the number one highest grossing, let me use their words, kids fiction movie? This is basically animated movie. What is the highest okay. grossing Animated movie adjusted for in, inflation or no, not it, adjusted for inflation? Uh, that's a good question. I'm gonna say not adjusted. Or this, it, no, not adjusted. Not adjusted for inflation. Domestic total only, not worldwide. What is the highest grossing in the U.S. animated movie of all time? Do you think? Wait, you said adjusted for inflation or not? Not adjusted for inflation. Oh, so not probably so be white. like, yeah, probably be the Disney movies that play over and over every decade for the last hundred. Is years. it? Is it Frozen? No, gonna get but you're frozen. close. You're close, because it's definitely going to be new, because these, these are the things, if it's not, yeah, adjusted, if not adjusted for inflation. For inflation. So I'm going to say um, John Favreau's The Lion King. No, that didn't go uh, well. What? Are you t well, first off, John Favreau's The Lion King did very well. It made $543 million in the U.S. alone. Okay, it made $1.6 billion worldwide as the highest grossing animated movie of all time. If you... Uh, actually believe it's an animated movie unlike John Favreau uh, for some reason <laughs> cool. um, the answer to this question is weird it is The Incredibles 2 you know I was thinking about The Incredibles oh. 2 that movie How made a weird amount of money did The Incredibles 2 make this much money I don't know who cares about The Incredibles, Incredibles 2? 2 well the only reason we have sort of dismissed The Incredibles 2 is that uh, the year that it was supposed to win the Best Animated Feature Oscar, 
uh, Into the Spider Verse snapped like a six year Disney mm. streak mm-hmm. um, and right. unseated it. So even though Into the Spider Verse, again, is not as profitable as something like Incredibles 2, it gets Shreked, where if you give it an Oscar, that adds two quadrants where there weren't two quadrants before <laughs> somebody Ugh. who doesn't even have children are like maybe i should see that oscar winning animated movie i wonder if, if i'm gonna true. see one animated we'll movie find out when the sequel i want to see out. the oscar nominated one uh, that's a good point yeah, the incredibles 2 uh, i never saw it i'm gonna go watch the incredibles 2 right after this podcast. oh the incredibles 2 has some amazing animation work in it i would like uh, to see Incred- I mean, i've seen to, it i still remember it to katie's point like why why not make these movies with kids in them like why not make movies for Incredibles kids that has a kids. large baby s- section where he fights a raccoon a large baby section big baby i guess how how close Do are that. we to a marvel movie starring children we're about to get an avatar movie starring children that is a ya movie. Uh, katie yes you have you have positioned charlie by taking him to the avatar re-release for the greatest oh, yeah. moment in his entire life which is seeing avatar 2 it's about kids now. That's true. That's the subtitle. Mm-hmm. There will never be a Marvel movie that is directly for children because the whole reason Disney bought Marvel was to plug a gap of adults. consumers it wasn't reaching, and it has no trouble with children. But if you could sign those uh, Disney Channel kids up for a Marvel movie, they'll be in like 18 sequels. They're so young. I mean, yeah, but uh, yes, but again, it's not for them. Last week, She-Hulk fucked Daredevil on Disney Plus, so that's the direction we're going in. Oh yeah, sorry to spoil She-Hulk for you. Oh no, okay, you did see it. You got good. I saw it. Smile. Anyway, Katie. Uh, uh, Excuse me. She made artful bed play. (laughs) Katie, I don't have kids. Daredevil. I don't have kids. Um, Should I see Lyle Crocodile? Nah, the songs are good. Listen to the songs on Spotify. Um, all right. I do think you should see Javier Bardem dancing and like really giving his all into these musical numbers because um, it kind of has to be seen to be believed. Uh, but the movie is, is fun. All right. I'll, I'll wait till it streams and scrub for the, the Bardem dancing. Yeah. I'm going to see like if I don't think if they put any clips on YouTube. We're watching uh, Katie Google, Lyle Lyle Crocodile, <laughs> Javier Bardem dancing. This is great radio look i've just had the song stuck in my head i mean you can watch the trailer and see a good bit of javier right dancing and you decide if that's worth it for you that does it for this week's show we'll be back next week in the meantime tell the people who you are i'm matt patches i'm the deputy editor over at polygon.com i'm on twitter at mr patches we have a website Polygon. No, it's not fucking called Polygon. That's my website. It's called <laughs> fightingintheworm.com. No, but go to Polygon too. I'm sure we have reviewed kids' films in our time on uh, in this podcast airwaves. Do you think we, we talked reviewed... about Hocus Pocus two last week? There you go. Do you think it's for kids? It's really for grown ass adults who want to remember yeah. their childhoods. I didn't watch it with my kids. It's for like twelve year old girls that think they're in a coven, pretty squarely. Oh, wow. that's actually great. Uh, yeah, fightingintheworm.com. Go listen to that. Uh, and I'm going to tell you that David Ehrlich will probably be back next week. Uh, you could follow him on Twitter at uh, David Ehrlich. He's also uh, the film critic for IndieWire.com. Wow. Uh, and he would tell you to uh, leave a review on uh, iTunes podcast app. Uh, or I think he would call it just iTunes, but it's the Apple Podcast app, <laughs> and we uh, we'll read it live on the show. And if you are doing that internationally, Dave, where can we find uh, those? Well, I would say you could email <laughs> us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at da 7 e You can hear me on uh, the Dave and Neil's Pop Culture Adventure Patreon podcast, where we're talking about Halloween movies, and on Trial by Content. Uh, where we're talking about House of the Dragon for a couple more weeks. Also, not for kids. Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair on the Little Goldman Podcast, where this week I interviewed Adam Sandler. That was fun. Hey. Uh, about Hustle, which you heard me talk about. I think maybe just me and David talked about earlier this year. Um, also, uh, I managed to talk about Lila Crocodile on that show, too, uh, talking about the best original song, Oscar <laughs> Race. Don't rule it out. Um 
You can find me on Twitter, A-K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H, or we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where I would love for you all to report back to me what you think of Javier Bardem's dancing. Or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was? In honor of Halloween ends, what's cinema's best resurrection? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Who are you? I'm done.